A brewing behemoth is born on this consumer goods edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Tuesday, October 13th, 2015, and with me today is the insightful Vincent Shen. How's it going, Vince? How are you doing, Sean? Not too shabby. So uh, last week, we mentioned briefly that already gargantuan beverage companies, SAB Miller and AB InBev, were in talks to potentially merge. Um, those talks have now borne fruit, mm-hmm. and uh, we're not getting a giant. We are getting a Leviathan. Mm, yes. This thing is going to be massive. Yep. Um I got to make this joke, or it's not really even a joke. It's probably a truth. Are there any antitrust concerns over this deal? Because this is going to be huge. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, just give our listeners just a high-level background of what's been going on between these two companies. SAB Miller was obviously playing hard to get. Yes. Uh, what's been going on? There's definitely. This was very much a public... Uh, a public negotiation. This was really. like watching high schoolers flirt. This was like... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the rumors came out mid-September. We talked about this a little bit last week. Rumors came out mid-September that uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev would be approaching SCB Miller with some type of buyout offer. Uh, you know, obviously, stocks reacted uh, very positively for SAB Miller on that news. And over the next few weeks, uh, the off- you know, approximate uh, gauges of what the offers would be uh, started coming out, started leaking out, really. So, you know, generally valued around 100 billion pounds. Um, and so, uh, SAB Miller confirmed, you know, we're in talks right now. And the discussions got really heated at times uh, based on some of like the rhetoric, basically, that Anheuser Busch management uh, was kind of pushing into headlines. Basically, how the fact that SAB Miller was rejecting their latest offer, things like the fact that it lacked credibility, quote unquote. Um, so ultimately, uh, you know, we had in late September and early October, the proposal or the offer price was just over 40 pounds. Uh, about a week later, on Wednesday, October seventh, it went up to forty-two point one five pounds. Uh, following Monday, on October twelfth, and you can see how quick the pace is picking up. Yeah, here, went up to forty-three fifty, and then ultimately this morning they came to an agreement in principle for at forty-four pounds or about sixty-seven dollars. So, sure. as things progressed, investors clearly saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, uh, and ultimately, yeah, I guess. It's not all that surprising. If they were going to come to a deal, they need to come to it about this time because uh, there's some uh, regulations in the UK that basically say you have to put out uh, the formal. Oh, that's right. The formal offer was yeah. required by tomorrow, October 14th. So they're already pushing up against. I had that. forgotten, but I did know that the UK is funny with shareholder treatments. Exactly. And all that. So the thing is, you know, as part of the press release that pushed out today, that basically said, again, this isn't. Uh, uh, they basically said. You know, we're agree that management of both companies have agreed to the key terms of the deal, and at the same time, we're asking for an extension of that October 14th deadline for two weeks because of the fact that you know this is such a large, complex deal. They need that time to iron out. That happened in the financial crisis. One of the uh, UK banks needed to be rescued or whatever and sold, and another bank was going to buy them, but they didn't have time to get all the shareholders to vote, which is UK law. Mm -hmm. Like it's very funky over there. Yeah, there's there's some other parts of it. Basically, if you missed that, if they had missed that. October fourteenth window for the oh, for the formal offer. They'd have to wait, I think, six months. They're not allowed to to uh, approach with another offer. Now you used to work in investment banking, and uh, now you're a fool, and we love it. Um, did anybody get any sleep 
when putting the steel together know. on a crunch time uh, like that. I th- some of the teams that were involved uh, as advisors for both these companies, I think Lazard was involved, Goldman Sachs, a few others. I'm sure everybody Midnight was, Oil was burned. Even, including the management teams. I, everybody yeah. at these companies is you know going back and forth. And we're, for such a large deal, high profile, yeah, it would have been a lot of long hours. So, what does an agreement in principle mean exactly? Because that's like, uh, I want to merge with you, but I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> it's it's not final. Um, you know, the management has agreed to the key terms. It's obviously very important. That's been the holdup this whole time. Um, but ultimately, uh, they've also basically agreed that they're going to recommend. Uh, this deal to their shareholders, but at the same time, there's still going to be a breakup fee. Naturally, um, there's a lot of, of course. There's a lot of hurdles here, not only uh, with shareholder approvals, but with regulatory approval. So, uh, with the breakup fee, what we're going to see? Oh my! Three billion dollar breakup fee. Three billion dollars. I'm sorry, paid, folks. I just saw the note here. <laughs> paid by Anheuser Busch InBev to uh, Sab Miller if the deal fails to. Pass. I almost want the deal to fall through if I'm Sab Miller. Holy smokes! <laughs> So those, um, so like I said, the terms forty four pounds per sh- uh, share for cash. Uh, that's a fifty percent plus premium to the twenty nine point uh, three four pounds that the uh, SAB shares were trading at before all the rumors came out. So we, this was like mid September. We were talking about it, you know, last week, and SAB Miller was you know playing hard to get and saying we think we can do better for our shareholders. And I'm the whole time I was thinking you're like. One of the largest beverage companies on planet Earth. How are you going to double your share price? Otherwise, like mm-hmm. I was like, really? You think? Well, that's you know, the fifty percent premiums definitely. I'm, uh, I'm sure they're very happy that they were able to pull right to, to to stretch that out. And ultimately, when the first offer came in at around forty pounds, they, you know, it was generally guided that they were looking for something closer to forty five. Right, and this got them there. So um, the other cool little aspect of this deal, uh, UK shareholder regulations aside, is uh, SAB Miller has a very interesting enormous shareholder. Yeah. So in Altria, the, so these o- this offer the forty four pounds per share uh, in cash is actually f- basically for everyone else except for SAB Miller's two biggest shareholders, which are Altria, like you mentioned, and Bevco, which is basically like the representative company for uh, bunch the, of PE guys, the right? Colombian yeah. for a Colombian family, the Santa Domingos, I believe yeah. it is. So Altria owns twenty seven percent. Of the shares and Bevco owns about fourteen percent, so they have pretty sizable forty-one percent, forty percent, yeah, uh, some that's... over three hundred million shares. Uh, and the thing is, they're getting a special deal here, and this is basically going to help reduce the amount of cash that Anheuser Busch is going to have to put up uh, for the purchase price. Uh, so they are going to be getting point four eight three nine six nine of a share over restricted share plus three point seven seven eight eight pounds cash for each share of SAB Miller they hold. Um, that's equivalent to about thirty nine pounds per share. So but they're, they're getting they're seeing, more stock, which implies more upside. They're seeing a discount to the cash price that the other shareholders right. are seeing, which and you'll you can see. So the the thing with these restricted shares is they don't trade on public markets, um, and they have a five year lockup from the closing date of the acquisition, assuming it does close. Um, and after that five year period, they convert to ordinary Anheuser Busch InBev shares on a one for one. Do they have the same voting rights? Yes. So they rank equally. 
uh, for dividends and voting rights, and they also still get their director nomination rights. So, really, so it's this just a is, five-year time is that five-year lockup yeah. is probably the most substantial thing to keep yeah. in mind here to keep them. Uh, well, I'm sure the these rich families didn't want to uh, pay the capital gains taxes for yes. the cash deal. That so. was also a big, I'm sure, a huge <laughs> proponent of this because you got to understand that. Uh, when Anheuser-Busch was going through this whole process, making these offers, a lot of it they had to market to these two shareholders since they're such a significant. Uh, yeah, it's 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 wooing your future in-laws. Exactly, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. So, um, helping them avoid those uh, major tax bills through this uh, through these restricted share slash cash um, offer is. I'm sure very much helped push them uh, in the right direction. But even Altria last week on an earlier offer, I think on the 4215 offer, they had already started supported the deal. Oh yeah. So it was kind of getting Bevco yeah. who was voting with the board of SAB Miller when they were rejecting it to get everybody on board. Right. Cool. Okay. Before we move on to discussing what the combined entity will look like, I wanted to point our listeners to the re- newly redesigned focus.fool.com. There, you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry-focused listeners. All loyal IF listeners have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this offer. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. So if you're just joining us, I'm here with the uh, incomparable Vincent Shen, and we're talking about um, what will essentially have a monopoly on global beer sales. Um, what's this combined entity? Should the merger between SAB Miller and uh, AB InBev go through, mm-hmm. what's it going to look like? Because right. they're going to operate in 150 countries, and just it's going to be nuts. All right, so keep in mind the deal value at about $104 billion U.S. billion is going to be one of the top five biggest mergers ever. A huge deal. And, uh, you know, even uh, like kind of as you mentioned previously, each of these companies by themselves are really big. They're already the top five brewers in the world. So combining them, the one and two, it's really it's very a huge amount of consolidation for the industry. Um, AB InBev already has 200 brands. 16 of them generate a billion dollars plus in annual sales. And we're talking about the entire beer section okay. at the store. Uh, minus- so some <laughs> some of their brands uh, that that are you know their famous brands that everybody knows: Budweiser, Stella Artois, Corona, Bex. Uh, SAB Miller's portfolio includes uh, a lot of international brands that. Uh, AB InBev wants access to, like Peroni, Grolsch, Pilsner, Quell, Miller. So the combined entity would have $64 billion in revenue, and they control about 30% global <laughs> market share. And it gets even better for the U.S. Yeah. Um, so you got to keep in mind also that uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev already has a dominant market share in markets like U.S., Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Belgium. Dominant means anywhere from forty to eighty percent. Yeah, uh, I think they have like something a little over fifty percent in the U.S., as high as sixty percent in Belgium, seventy percent in Argentina. So, SAB Miller, on the other hand, is presenting them with even more opportunities in Central and South America, but also most importantly, or I wouldn't say most importantly, but very importantly, Africa, because uh, currently AB InBev has no. Uh, has no real foreign And Africa's GDP growth has been actually awesome last 10 years. Yes. And this is a growth market now. Exactly. So, um, you know, combining that with the fact there's been a, there's expected to be a huge jump in the legal age drinking, drinking population, growing middle class, like you mentioned, just a high growth market that any brewer right now, uh, you know, beyond craft beer sales, for example, in the US is looking for growth. Um, so, that the, those were probably really that the access to those markets obviously really big part of this transaction, um, and the combined entity is just 
it's really going to be massive. So um, a minute or two ago, I made a joke about it, but um, it's no small stress to say that here in the United States, we're talking about fifty or sixty percent of the beer aisle mm-hmm. at the grocery store. Yep, with these companies. Yep. Um, they operate in a bunch of countries, but what's what are U.S. regulators going to say? I mean, this is like <laughs> okay. So the regulatory hurdles would not be small with this deal at all. Um, you know, keeping in mind the fact that the top five brewers already account for half of all market right. share globally, and um, regulatory authorities with previous deals that have happened in the past five ten years have already kind of shown some concern over the amount of consolidation that's happening so for example in 2013 so not too long ago and this is part of i feel like uh ab and bev's like ongoing uh their affinity for acquisitions when they require when they acquired grupo modelo for about 26 billion dollars that year department of justice required that modelo divest its u.s business to constellation brands which bought it yeah, for five no, billion dollars, and that included all the U.S. rights to Corona, um, and so that's something that that could be a very good parallel for what we might see here. But with it was this a deal. fourth of the size. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like you mentioned, the combined entity will have seventy percent market share for U.S. in beer. Oh my um, gosh! <laughs> and so, in order to address you know that level of that you know what is amounting very quickly to a monopoly, um, it's basically this company, Boston Beer, and a bunch of small regional brewers. So like, that's what we're talking about now. I think we can expect similar investments, especially in the U.S. Um, keep in mind, for example, SAB Miller has that joint venture with Molson Coors, right? Miller Coors. Um, they have, I think, it's a fifty percent, fifty-eight percent interest. So um, Coors will probably end up buying that out. Um, also, they ex- how does Coors feel about that? <laughs> I'm sure pretty happy because, uh, but. Um, and that that uh, I would also want to mention that the Molson Coors joint venture controls about a quarter of the market too. Mm-hmm. So, again, very significant, or you know, most of the market concentrated in just a few players' hands. And then in China is another place that analysts have cited as being a likely place where divestitures are going to be needed. Um, SAB Miller has a partnership with China Resource Enterprise, which is the largest beer company in China, um, and it has like a forty-eight percent, forty-nine percent interest in the Snow brand, which is, I think, the most popular brand there. So they're they're likely to have to potentially part with that as I well. I can't imagine that uh, divesting the Snow brand would placate U.S. antitrust regulators. No, this is well, yeah. Keep in mind, this is there's going to be a whole bag of all the all the antitrust guys in each country are going to call this. each other. So while on the U.S. side, you know. We, we talked about the the joint venture that that's that is going to need to be dissolved most likely. Um, there are going to be other stipulations that are required in global in the other uh, regions they operate as well. Got it. Okay. Um, antitrust problems aside, what other hurdles are there? Uh, okay. So the thing is, um, so we're talking about a large check, huge deal. <laughs> so. Naturally, uh, two obvious things other than regulatory hurdles are going to be how you're going to fu- pay for it, and are they going to be able to integrate it well? Uh, Funding-wise, uh, Anheuser Busch and Bev already has quite a bit of debt. They took on a ton of debt in 2008 when they when they merged in, in the financial when, crisis. Yeah. When they merged with Anheuser Busch, and then also they took on even more again more debt with the Grupo Modelo deal, which which was the bigger, most recent one, and. Um, with that said, you know they're going to 
need to pay for the deal with the mix of cash on hand and debt. And the thing is, even keeping in mind that special offer uh, for the restricted shares that they gave to Altria and Bevco, they don't have nearly enough cash on hand. They're still going to need at least $50 billion in debt. They're organizing that with lenders now. So, Keep that in mind. I have to think, though, given what like you know companies like 3G Capital have done with you know Buffett and Heinz and this that and the other thing, I, the appetite for strong consumer brands levering up in the debt markets it seems to still be pretty high. Like I yes. don't, I, I would speculate that they're probably going to come up with the money. I think that uh, there's some credit that needs to be given to uh, InBev because when they took over Anheuser Busch and they the debt balance ballooned, they were able to bring that down. Uh, yes, yeah, so at the end of te- they were able to bring that down the net debt level from forty three billion dollars at the end of two thousand nine to about twenty five billion dollars three years later. That's very impressive. Um, yeah. And you know, there's no denying the fact that for current shareholders, the risk profile for Anheuser Busch and Bev is definitely going to go up. Um, you know, they pay a pretty generous dividend at about four percent. So. Growth, That's probably not going to go up. Growth a ton. of that payout yeah. is obviously probably going to be stagnant for a while as they work through that debt balance. Um, and another interesting thing is that you kind of bringing up the Kraft Heinz and some of the integration is InBev is also a fan of zero based budgeting. Oh no! So they, everybody's going to get fired. So they brought that to Anheuser Busch, and you know, at the time in two thousand eight, the culture was generally like they wanted to squeeze every drop of efficiency out of Anheuser Busch. One second, just for our listeners, this is from a previous show. Like, whenever three G Capital, a big uh, PE firm that's teamed up with Buffett to buy Burger King and Heinz, they go in there and they slash everything. No more color copies. Mm-hmm. Like it gets everybody's so what, using. Yeah. So, so what anyway. zero based budgeting means? Uh, and it's good that you're elaborating on that. It's based Basically, instead of working your budget each year off of the previous year's budget, you have to re-justify everything that you're spending on. Uh, what that basically every means penny is <laughs> really high, really high efficiency, really uh, incredible sin- like costs cutting synergies, but at the same time, often layoffs, um, and they're kind of re-evaluating everybody in the company to make sure they're adding the value they need to stay. And it's stressful. <laughs> Very stressful. Uh, definitely, cha- it was a radical culture change when InBev right. kind of took over. Uh, whereas Anheuser Busch previously was probably a little bit like boys' club, more relaxed. Uh, some people were saying it was we getting a little bloated. Beer, exactly. Blah blah blah. Um, so they really went in there and, and shifted it radically, so it was much more efficient. And That's... we can expect to see something like that here, where two billion dollars of they recognized over two billion dollars of synergies went uh, in the Anheuser Busch InBev deal here. We can probably expect something four or similar. five or something. Like exactly. Get nuts. Um, and that's at the end of the day the justification here, because um, you get um, ABNBev getting in on growth markets like yes. Africa and stuff, yes. and you also get the cost synergies because you need fewer trucks going to grocery stores. So there's mm-hmm. that too. Um, have there been any estimates that you've seen for that at all? I, I think it's a little. It's early, a little early, yeah. But okay. I'm j- just basing that off of the previous deals and uh, the fact that InBev has shown you know quite a they've. Gone through. They've done so many deals recently. Um, they have a lot of that experience integrating their acquisitions. So, if they stay on point and stick to the you know things like the zero based budgeting that they know, I think there's a lot of potential there. And you know that's on top of you mentioned growth markets. But you know while this deal was going, while this deal was being negotiated, they're still thinking about some of their recent acquisitions and integrating the recent acquisitions of craft breweries that they've been picking up in the U.S. to get exposure to that growth as well. So clearly, there's a company that's very comfortable with 
buyouts. Got it. Cool. Very good. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Vince. Thank you. I can't wait to see if and when this gets completed. Yeah, exactly. If you are a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Vincent Chen, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!